You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar Sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. Mm. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. <laughs> Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That's the great, the one and only, Blue Eyes, Frank Sinatra. That's life. What a life he's had. At 8.15, my guest is going to be a proud Italian-American who became a doctor, cardiologist. He's also an actor, Dr. Rico Simonini. When I talked to him earlier this week about his life, He told the greatest story of why he chose to become a cardiologist of all things in medicine. You know why I became an orthopedic surgeon, because my dad was a carpenter. But why did he become a cardiologist? Well, you'll enjoy hearing the story. And it involves organized crime in a certain way. It involves a story about the power of persuasion because his dad was having a heart attack in the emergency room. And he helped make make sure that his life was saved by getting the right medicine. And then he realized you save lives when you're a cardiologist. But it's a fantastic story about the power of persuasion. So it made me think all week. The world of sports. The world of art. Where do you see that story where... If you don't do what I say, something's going to happen. Using words as a powerful tool. Well, there's a story about Larry King launching his career because he was able to get the biggest guest in the early 60s that lived on this planet as a guest on his little radio show in Miami. He got the great Frank Sinatra. How did he get Frank Sinatra as a guest? No one knew who Larry King was. He's on this little station in Miami. It's an unbelievable story. But first, let's set it up of how the power of persuasion works. Where does it come from? Italian-American style. Here's Walter Cronkite in the mid-50s sitting down with Frank Sinatra to ask him about his life. And you'll learn where family and friends, friends become like family, is what Frank Sinatra is most proud of. So if you're a friend of his and you done something for him, he's ready to do something for you. Let's listen to the interview, number one. It was a semi-slum area. Uh, It was typical of the middle 20s and the late 20s and through the depression and it was pretty rough but they, were, they uh, i've read and been told or, or rather asked questions concerning gang wars and so on and so forth well there weren't gang wars but there were beefs and there were battles about about uh, uh position and who should cross the line into where we lived and cross the line into where they lived you see and number two and i must say there were many times when i had to go on an errand that i skirted certain areas of the town you know, because the, the cry went up, kill the Dago when he comes through the, through the corner of town. What I do with my life is of my own doing. 
I live it the best way I can. Uh, I've been criticized on many, many occasions uh, because of uh, uh, acquaintances and what have you. But I don't do those things for have, to have anybody follow me to, in doing that same thing is what I mean. The acquaintances are the mafia. And he used to work for the Tommy Dorsey band where they pretty much were taking advantage of him. They launched his career, but he had signed that I owe you 43% of all the income I'm going to make for the rest of my life. That ain't going to happen. So Frank Sinatra, with those acquaintances he just talked about, sat down with Tommy Dorsey with, uh, let's just say, someone with the power of persuasion, and the contract became null and void. Tommy Dorsey later said, this is a quote about Frank Sinatra, he's the most fascinating man in the world, but don't put your hand in the cage. In other words, don't mess with him. So when he's asked by Walter Cronkite, how do you want to be remembered as a man? Listen carefully where he uses the word friends and family. He puts them together. Number three. I would like to be remembered as a man who had uh, a wonderful time living his life and who had uh, um, good friends, fine family. And I don't, I don't think I could ask for anything more than that, actually. So if you become a friend of Frank Sinatra, you're pretty much set because you know if you need the power of persuasion, you got it. So now let's listen. This is just beautiful. Larry King, his career launched because as a struggling radio host in Miami in the early 60s, he lucks into getting Frank Sinatra. He's Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley, Rihanna rolled into one as his guest. Well, how did it happen? It's because he became friends with Jackie Gleason, the comedian. In Miami, that's where Jackie Gleason lived. That's where Larry King was working. Guy from Brooklyn changes his name from Lawrence Ziegler to Larry King because it sounds better, less ethnic, and is told, go to Miami. You can get your career started there. And he befriends the biggest guy in Miami, which is Jackie Gleason. Listen to this story, number one. So we're at his house one night. <laughs> few people and he the subject of conversation at dinner was before he got drunk got drunk late every night so he didn't want to be there late but early he was fun he was very bright what in your profession is impossible mm. so there's a bunch of people sitting around the table larry king is there but there's a doctor there and a few other people different professions so jackie gleason looks at the doctor and says you what's impossible in the world of medicine, number two. And we had a doctor there. He said, what's, what's impossible? Impossible in medicine. And the doctor said, this was 1963, about 63, 64. Uh, they will never make blood in a lab. And they'll do lots of crazy things in life. They will, it'll be, they'll cure diseases, but they will never go into a laboratory and make blood that you can give to someone. You can give transfusions, you can make plasma from blood, but you'll never make blood. That's God. Mm. That's impossible. 
Now he looks at Larry King. All right, we heard from the doctor. What about you, young kid, sitting at the table with me? Jackie Gleason says, what's impossible in your world? Number three. He goes rank up to me. What's impossible? I said, well, in addition to my television work, I do a local radio show every night from 9 to 12 on WIOD radio. It's a studio show with guests and phone calls. Frank Sinatra's opening at the Fontainebleau next week. I'd say Frank Sinatra, who was the number one star in the world at this time. Frank Sinatra was Michael Jackson and Elvis Presley rolled into one in 1960. You couldn't get bigger. He avoided the press. Frank Sinatra to do my radio show for three hours. Mm. Now listen to what happens next. Number four. During the time he's in Miami. And Jackie, I can still see him. You got him. I said, what? You got him. <laughs> what night is he dark? I said, they don't work Monday nights. Next Monday, you got him. I said, okay, Jackie, I'm going to plug it. Pal, I said you got him. You got him. <laughs> I go back, and that night on the air, I said, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, next Monday night, Frank Sinatra. Wow. The papers are writing up Frank Sinatra to appear on Larry King. Frank now opens at the front of The station calls me in on Friday and said, listen, we're preparing a big ad for the Miami Herald for Monday morning. Mm, number five. You sure you got him? I <laughs> told me you got him. He said, well, we've called the Fondable a lot, left messages, and he hasn't returned any calls to messages. So we don't know that he's coming, and the ad's going to cost a little piece of money. I, I don't know what to tell you. So he said, well, we'll run the ad. Number six. Uh, maybe I ought to call Jackie. I called Jackie <laughs> Price out of the golf course. Gets in later. Yeah, what, pal? I said, well, I just want to check his friend. Did I tell you he's coming? He got mad. I said, okay, Frank. Okay, Jackie, I'm sorry. Sorry. Now it's Monday night. It's five to nine. The whole radio station stayed. The people who worked during the day did not go home, secretaries, anybody, salesmen. Because to, to be in Frank Sinatra's presence, was unbelievable. You, you couldn't be bigger. I'm standing, it's 5 to 9, I go on at 5 after 9, right after the news, till 12. Number 7? Suddenly this limo comes. <laughs> Frank gets out, and this PR guy gets out with him. Jim, was the last, I don't think it was the last name. Jim comes up the stairs and says, who's Larry King? He says, I don't know how you got him. He says, I get paid not to get him here. I don't know how you got him. And Frank says, who's Larry King? I, we're all standing there. I go, sheepishly. Me, okay, let's go. You know, Frank, let's go. <laughs> go into the studio. Number eight. Good evening. My guest tonight is Frank Sinatra. Why are you here? Now, a lot of guys would have said, my guest tonight is the famous Frank Sinatra. Or He's here at the Fontainebleau. Or my old friend Frank Sinatra. None of that. Why are you here? Because the audience has got to wonder how I got him. I don't know how I got him, except what Gleason told me. And he says, Frank says, well, five, six years ago, I'm working Ben Maxick's Town and Country Club in New York. Saturday night, closing night, I got laryngitis. Because of the power of persuasion, that's how he got him. Number nine. And we've got a packed house. So I call up my friend Jackie. I said, Jackie, would you come over and do an hour for me? I can't sing. Gleason came over, did an hour. I walked him out to his limo when he's leaving. I leaned in. I said, Jackie, 
I owe you one. I check into town to sing here at the Fonvalo. I get a message to call Gleason. I call up. She answers the phone. I said, Jackie, it's Frank. And all he said was, Frank, this is the one. This is not only the power of persuasion, but Jackie Gleason has done something for his friend who, in essence, is now his family. Number 10. And from that radio show, <laughs> at the end of the show, he says, hey, kid, you're pretty good. Want to come see my show? I said, sure. He says, okay, I'll leave two tickets, two. There'll be a reservation for two tomorrow night. First show, dinner show. And this is how he endears himself to actually Frank Sinatra beyond just knowing Jackie Gleason. Now he's friends with Frank Sinatra. Number 11. Front row, front table. Oh my God. Frank Sinatra's on stage. In the middle of his show, he always came out, took a cup of tea, and conversed with the audience. And he says, last night I did, I don't do this, folks, but Jackie Gleason asked me to do this radio show, and I owed him a favor. I didn't. I want to tell you, I had a great time. This kid interviewed me. He's a great interviewer. I'd like to have you meet him. You're going to hear about him. Number 12. Larry King, stand up. Well, it was dessert time. I'm eating Cherry's Jubilee. That's the ice cream with cherries and syrup. Um, I stand up, bang, it hits me, it falls all over me. Cherry's Jubilee's <laughs> over my face. The thing, the girl is sitting there looking. Frank starts to laugh. The entire audience cracks up. And thus was launched through the power of persuasion the career of Larry King because of the Italian-American feeling of family equals friend and friend equals family. Where in sports do we see such a story? Well, when Oral Hershiser started out in baseball, he had the talent, but he didn't have the courage until he met Tommy Lasorda in 1988, which by the way is the year he wins the Cy Young Award the year the Dodgers win the World Series, the MVP of the World Series is Oral Hershiser. But when Oral Hershiser started out, there were moments in his career he wanted to quit because he was not embraced and he didn't have that courage. But the power of persuasion from someone like Tommy Lasorda, you almost wonder if Clayton Kershaw should have Tommy Lasorda change his name. Listen to Tommy Lasorda talking about meeting Oral Hershiser for the first time and realizing this kid has the talent, but he doesn't have the courage. Let's go to number one. When I thought about him when he came here and I saw him pitch and the way he pitched, I thought that he didn't have much inside here. He was a negative pitcher. Every ball he threw, he threw with a negative attitude. And then I had that famous one-on-one -on -one meeting with him. I told him he was, he was scared. I didn't like his name. <laughs> I didn't like his name. Oral. It's too pansy for him. Number two. I think he should be given another name. <laughs> so I said, you put yesterday like... A scared dog. So from now on, your name is Bulldog. 
I'm going to call you bulldog, and you'll be a bulldog, and you'll act like a bulldog. And that's what happened. He changed his name. Oral Hershiser launches his career in 1988 and changes into becoming a different person. He literally becomes a bulldog and breaks Don Drysdale's record, something Tommy Lasota never thought would ever be possible, let alone by Oral Hershiser. But you change his name to Bulldog, and incredible things happen through the power of persuasion. Finally, number three. He, he acted like a Bulldog, and he changed and pitched like a Bulldog. And of course, he broke a record that I never thought would be broken. Drysdale's 58 and two-thirds inning. It took the last game of the season for him to do that. But I saw it. And I didn't believe it was happening. That's a little better than seven shutouts consecutively. Right. Tough. Coming up next, you're going to hear about the power of persuasion, Italian-American style, but in the world of medicine. My guest, Dr. Rico Simonini. He's both a doctor and an actor. What a fascinating journey through life he's had. We'll be talking to him coming up next on the one and only Weekend Warrior Show, here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. The best entertainer. Forget going to the movies. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. So the Clapper was looking at the flapper. Can you imagine how cool that was? Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. The great Frank Sinatra. New York, New York. New York. That's where I'm from. We like to say things like, forget about it. Get out of here. I'm joined now by someone who knows a lot about being Italian-American and from New York. The great Dr. Rico Simonini. Rico, thanks so much for waking up early to be with us. Hey, good morning. Great, great to be on the show with you, Bob. Oh, uh, so nice to hear your voice. So, I'm talking about the power of persuasion. Tommy Lasorda changing Oral Hershiser's name because he didn't like his name Oral. That he thought he pitched like a scared dog. And in 1988, he went from being a guy, you know, kind of a humdrum pitcher to the Cy Young Award winner and MVP and winning the World Series. He changed his name to Bulldog, the power of persuasion, and he became a Bulldog. The story of Larry King launching his career because Frank Sinatra paid off a debt to Jackie Gleason and launched his career. Before we get into who you are, I need to know the power of persuasion in your life. When I asked you, of all the things in medicine, why did you choose to become a cardiologist? You said you were initially going to be an orthopedic surgeon. Tell the listeners the story of the power persuasion involving TPA in the emergency room. Sure. Uh, first of all, um, that 1988, I was a Met fan, so I, I remember that very, very well. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Mike Sosha's home run was like, excuse me, he did what? 
yeah. So yes, so I very well. But uh, but yeah, so I, I I was born with uh, 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 you would know this a uh, 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 tarsal correlation. I needed a triple orthodesis when I was uh, 15 years old, uh, and and so I basically decided I want to be an orthopedic surgeon because I want to fix people. I want to fix athletes. I was into sports, but my dad, you know, my dad was one of these restaurant guys, knock around guys, came from Italy, hung out on Mulberry Street in, in, in places in Brooklyn. And basically I learned how to read a racing form before I learned how to spell. You know, I was, you, know. <laughs> you knew what a mutter was, right? You knew what a mutter was. A mutter and was, that was exactly. not someone's mom. Exactly. Exactly. And so, and so basically I love sports because my father would bet on sports, and and, and you know, and I, but, I, but I was also like the uh, the heavy set kid that actually brought books to school and actually did his homework. So I really wasn't <laughs> that. I loved hanging around sports, and I thought, okay, if I can't be a jock, I'll fix them, and and that and that was my thing. And then later on, I tore my ACL, you know, in in, in, in a in a quote unquote friendly game. Hey, hey, hey Rico, you want to play some flag football? And then they threw me into a Buick, and I blew up my ACL, and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> threw me into a Buick, which means you were playing in the street. Correct. Correct. So you have to learn how to dodge a little bit differently. If it's flag and not get hit by a car while you're going down, <laughs> while you're trying to cross the street. <laughs> so I blew out my ACL. So I knew very, I, I knew very much about, about sports injuries. So I said, this is my thing. So I'm in medical school, uh, and uh, I'm, at, I'm, at, I'm at Stony Brook, Stony Brook Med School. And I got a phone call from my dad. He says, uh, hey, uh, uh, he goes, I'm going to the hospital. I got these chest pains. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's nothing I see. But I think I'm having a heart attack. So he goes to the hospital in Brooklyn. And, uh, and I raced over there. And it's a hospital in, in, in Brooklyn, not, not a major medical center, one of, the, one of the smaller places. And I walk in there. And my father's having an inferior wall myocardial infarction. So he's having, and, and he's having the, the tombstone elevations on the EKG. The thing that you get taught in medical school is a bad thing. And, 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 and I look at, and I look at the ER doctor and I go, well, what are you doing for my father? And the guy looks at me and he says, well, we're going to try to transfer him to a hospital as a cath lab. And I said, but, but, but what, what are you doing right now for him? He said, well, we're waiting for a bed. And I, and the first thing you learn is time is muscle, right? And, mm-hmm. and it, it, it took me, you know, 45 minutes breaking speed records, you know, to, to go on the LIE all the way into Brooklyn to go. And, and he was still sitting there, nothing happening, just having chest pain. And I said, well, when do you think he's going to get a bed? He goes, it could be an hour. It could be two. I go, he could be dead. I said, what about TPA, which is tissue plus meningin activator, which is a clot dissolving drug that they were using, uh, which nowadays you don't see too much because everybody goes to the cath lab. But back then it was a, a, a viable option. And mm-hmm. the ER doctor said, well, I don't feel comfortable giving that to him. <laughs> I looked at this guy in the eye and I said, you know what? If you don't do that to me, we're gonna my, we're gonna call some guys and my father knows we're gonna wish we're gonna wish he did it. <laughs> he turned white as a ghost. He, he he takes the box out. He puts it down on on, on by, by the bedside. The charge nurse, God bless her, she goes, "I'll I'll give it to him, kid." <laughs> and she and she hung the drug. And I saw the EKG normalize, so the chest pain go away. Wow. And and, and, and then we transferred to out to where I was, and and I decided at that moment. I have to be a cardiologist because I have to save guys like my dad who having who having chest pain who could have died and needed needed someone to be you know, Johnny on the spot to be there for them to be a champion for guys like that. So that, that totally changed the, the, path, the path of my life. You know, you were going to get into your other life in the film business as an actor, and the difference between a Polaroid 
snapshot and a movie. What do they talk about a movie? It's 24 frames a second or whatever it is. You know, a movie, it's moving pictures. That's really what it is. A movie is called a movie because it's moving pictures. So in essence, when you go to the theater and see the movie or watch it on TV, it's really a series of snapshots that are now connected, basically. And I think that's the greatest clapper vision or metaphor for life, because our life is actually a series of snapshots. That's what your life is. And there's a series of moments. Some of those snapshots, some of those moments are like the one you just described, when all of a sudden God comes down from the heavens and Cupid shoots you in the heart, no pun intended, and says, Rico, you're going to be a cardiologist. That's what you're going to do with your life. It's amazing to me. You can have a whole life, but when you boil it all down, I don't know, there's 10 moments that actually create the entire life. Incredible story, Rico. Oh, thank you. I agree with you. I think our life our life is defined by moments, and uh and, and we and we like to live moment to moment, you know, right? And which is a, which is a great way to live to kind of re- really engage what's happening in our world right now. Which is actually what, the, what actors are taught how to do: live moment to moment. But we also know that in in the in the real world, we have to, we have to plan, we have to anticipate, we have to know what's going on, we have to worry about you know our schedule and then who's coming in today and what's going on. But uh, but it's true there, there are moments that define us, moments that happen. And uh, they just, they, they, they appear, they manifest, you know, and, and that's really, uh, they, they say, um, you know, there's, there's oppor- opportunities, is, is, uh, luck is preparedness meets opportunity. And the right. Opportunity, yeah. That's what John Wooden said. Failing yeah. to prepare is preparing to fail. And yeah. what I want to know, it's really easy kind of for me to marry the passions I have of surfing, of sculpting into my life as a surgeon. I love telling people I work in stone and bone. Because if you think about it, taking a crooked knee and turning it straight again, getting rid of the arthritis and reconstructing someone's knee is bone. But it's no different tools than what I use in working in Carrara Italian marble trying to emulate Michelangelo. Uh, They're very similar for you to imagine. So I want to ask you, Rico, the world of cardiology, the world of medicine. You're an actor. You're a really good actor, a successful actor. Where do you see the parallel in your vocation and avocation? What is it? Teach us. What is it about acting that you find similar to being a cardiologist? That's a great question, Bob, and it's been asked many. Whoops. Is he still there? We lose him. Can you you hear me? Can you hear me? No. Start from, start from, that's a great question. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yes, but start again from when you said that's a great question. Okay, so, so I said it's a great question because many people have asked me that. If you look at people like Anton Chekhov or Somerset Mom. We lost you again. Okay. Maybe I can make up the answer for him, but I don't want to do that. I really don't want to speak for him. So what we'll need to do is, Rico, can you hear me? You're going to need to call back from a different line. 
for me, I think, does an actor try and be someone else for a little bit of time? To a certain extent, to be a really, really good doctor, you almost have to become your patient. You almost have to act like your patient. There's a great physical therapist in town, one of my favorites. His name is David Fabrizio. He's an actor. He was one of the villains in the Superman uh, movie. I'll never forget that. He was the criminal with the shaved head. By the way, Rebecca, can you hear me? Okay. We got him back. Okay, let's have him come back. Rico. Hey, is it better now? It's better. You need to be in the telephone business, not the acting business. We can't even Tell hear you. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Okay, uh, go ahead. Now, anyway, so 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 they're saying that uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, Somerset Maugham, uh, Anton Chekhov are all physicians who are great playwrights, actors, and, 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 and dramatists. And when you think about being a doctor, being a physician, what you're interested in is studying the human condition, studying, you know, how, how, what, why, what, what makes people tick, literally. As a cardiologist, you know, think about it. I'm getting to matters of the heart, but, but what makes people literally tick. As an actor, you're very interested in the human condition as well. So a gr- what, what makes a good actor? Someone who listens, someone who's mm-hmm. curious to, to get information from the person they're talking to. What makes a great doctor? Someone who listens someone who's curiously listening to what their patient is telling them. It's all about trying to understand what makes humans humans, whether, whether you're trying to understand the complexities of physiology or, in your case, the complexities of structure and function. But all those things that make us human, all those things that give us emotions and passions and make us want to you know, fix our bones so we can surf or play ball or fix our hearts so we can go out and be normal and play with our kids or play with our family, all those passions are what drive us as, as, as an artist, to want to understand more about humans. And, and I think being connected to that is, is how one get one, how you can be an artist and a physician. And actually, if you think about it, medicine is really an art form, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You look at the evolution of it over the years. You know, we think, we, sure, we, we, could, we could learn anatomy, physiology, and science. But at the end of the day, there's an, there's an art to it as well. There's a, po- there's a point where... Where you, where, you, where you leave the script and you have to actually look at the patient and decide what's best for this patient, you know. And it's not Rico, can, can you hang on the line, Rico? I'm going to take a break because I want to talk to you. I'd love to hear your answer to this question. The difference between television and movies, yes, I get that, and I'd love to hear what you say about that. But doing live theater, like a Broadway show, does the audience become a single person to the actor on the stage? So think about that question. We're going to come up. Can you stay on the line? Can we keep you for another segment? Sure, sure. All right, you hang on the line. Think about that question. Coming up next weekend, Warriors, we'll continue with the great Dr. Rico Signanini, cardiologist at Cedars-Sinai. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. With tinted windows. Can you imagine? Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. While I'm in Italy. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. 
Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That's Dean Martin, and I'm talking and having fun with Dr. Rico Simonini, a cardiologist at Cedars-Sinai. Teach us, Rico, does the crowd in a live theater behave as a single person? Do you feel energy as an actor on stage from that audience, different from TV and movies? Oh, of course. As as someone who's done about maybe close to 30 live plays where, I, where uh, for the most part, I played the lead character. Wow. You totally feel the energy. The, and, and you feed off the energy. Um, it's, the audience is actually the, it's, they're like a participant in the show. Um, mm. I've done plays mostly in, in, in larger theaters, mostly, a, lot, a lot of times in small theater, where I'm performing literally at the foot of the stage, and the audience is right there in the palm of your hand, and they're with you every moment, and you kind of feel that. You know? and, and sometimes... Sometimes you're doing a show where, where uh, your character is this kind of outgoing kind of guy, and there's somebody in the front row is unwrapping one of those little candies and make that noise. You kind of walk into the front row and grab it out of their hand and kind of wink at them and go back up on stage and keep doing your monologue. <laughs> wow. I want to play something for you, Rico, because as a cardiologist, there walks into your office an overweight guy who is not going to change his lifestyle. He's now a diabetic. His heart, he's a nightmare. He's a widow maker. Listen to, Rebecca, let's play number one and number two of Tommy Lasorda talking to Oral Hershiser. When I thought about him when he came here and I saw him pitch and the way he pitched, I thought that he didn't have much inside here. He was a negative pitcher. Every ball he threw, he threw with a negative attitude. And then I had that famous one-on-one meeting with him. I told him he was he was scared. I didn't like his name. I think he should be given another name. So I said, you put yesterday like a scared dog so from now on your name is bulldog i'm going to call you bulldog and you'll be a bulldog and you'll act like a bulldog and that's what happened number three (laughs) he he acted like a bulldog and he changed and pitched like a bulldog and of course he broke a record that I never thought would be broken. Drysdale's 58 and two-thirds inning. It took the last game of the season for him to do that. But I saw it, and I didn't believe it was happening. That's a little better than seven shutouts consecutively. Right. Tough. Tough. What do you learn as an Italian-American from Tommy Lasorda, a proud Italian-American, the power of persuasion. Just calling Oral Hershey's a bulldog, he becomes a different guy. As a cardiologist, you got that patient who you know is a disaster. He needs to change everything about his lifestyle. Give us a story about how you use the power of persuasion, like Tommy does in sports, that you do in medicine. 
Well, I, actually, I met I met uh, Tom, Tom Linguini many times as, as I used to call him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but he, 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 he never came to me as a patient. But uh, every in LA, every Italian American that has a heart that has a heart issue or a weight issue, somehow they find their way to me either socially or professionally. And uh, some promise to come see me, and some actually see me. Uh, some, some of the sadder guys are like guys like Jimmy Gandolfini, who I met many times that he kept promising to come to see me. Mm. Uh, never got around to doing it. And the other one was, um, sadly, was Frank Sinatra Jr., who when I was doing, in, in the middle of production of my movie, we spoke on the phone a few times. said, yeah, kid, I heard you're a good doctor. I got to give me a checkup. And sadly, I didn't get a chance to see him uh, mm. in a heart attack. So how, how I handle these guys, and I have a lot of them, some I put in my movie, you could see, the, the corporal and Italian guys. Um, you know, and, and it all starts with treating my dad. My dad smoked Benson Hedges 100, three to four packs a day uh, for years and years. And I, I used to get into these arguments with him about smoking, about dieting. He used to look at me and say, you know, you got to live too. And I say, yeah, but see, the worst thing that can happen to your dad is not dying. The worst thing that can happen is you could live with emphysema. You could live being a cardiac. Mm. You can't walk around. You can't enjoy the things you like to do in life. And so you got to mm. kind of reinforce, you know, what, what could happen to them. And then you make, you make contracts with people. You say, all right, listen, we're going to try to lose some weight here. You know, I know you like eating macaroni. How about maybe once a week instead of every night? How about not eating mm. a whole loaf of bread for a sandwich? Maybe, maybe, maybe every couple of weeks you treat yourself. And you got to constantly stay on top. And, you know, and then a lot of these guys, you know, they'll take medication. They'll take, they'll take statins to lower their cholesterol. They'll take pills to lower their blood pressure. They'll stay on top of their blood sugar. So, so, so you get them to do that. But it's, it's a contract. It's trying to get them to see that they can live longer and healthier. And the worst thing is, like, I, I, one of my patients who uh, was a TV producer and director, he was the one that actually brought uh, a, a play to me to do for the first time in my office. Uh, he's 88 now. I've been treating him for for uh, 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 15 years and the way, and, and the, and the way we met, he, 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 he came to see me uh, at a reading, uh, a stage reading of a play. And, and uh, he walked up the steps and for the breath climbing up the steps. And I said, you have heart problems. I smoked for 50 years, you know, the same old problem. And I, I go come into my office and he basically failed the stress test. He got two stents the next day. And he goes, I can't believe it. I can breathe. What'd you do to me? I go, well, it's called blood flow. Your heart likes that. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, so, and, so, and, and so he's, he, he, he became a convert. He started like taking better care of himself, you know, and, uh, and he, he threw away the cigarettes, you know, everybody needs that moment, you know, mm-hmm. where, where they see that, you know, that's that being proactive, making a change is actually going to make a difference. It's not just, you know, uh, another, another random person on that path. And I think the other thing is I make it very personal, you know, it's, it's, uh, so, so they almost are ashamed to tell me, okay, yeah, I had a cigarette. Oh yeah, I had this. So I, because I actually take an active interest in what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's the key. You have to really make people see that, that they can, they can actually live longer, better, healthier. They can enjoy things they like to enjoy. Uh, my dad was the toughest customer, and, and let me tell you, I mean, he, he's, he's gone now uh, uh, six years, uh, uh, but uh, he survived three heart attacks, uh, aneurysm, stroke, and a lung cancer. In fact, the small cell lung cancer was, uh, was a serendipitous finding. He was, uh, complaining of, he was complaining of chest pain, 
and uh, and we, we we did it. We did a scan and we saw a, a, a incidental nodule in his lung. And they did, we did a, a lobectomy. It was small cell lung cancer. Very, as you know, very aggressive cancer with a very bad outcome. But it was caught early, and he lived nine years after that. Uh, and uh, he threw away the cigarettes and when he got out of the operating room. I'm done. That's it. So. So some people need that moment. So I think you just can't give up on people because if they see you don't give up, you're not giving up on them, then they may not give up on themselves. I think that's really the key. You know, you can't, you got, you got to, some people take, my father took 20 years, some people take two years, some people take 20 mm-hmm. months, some people take no months, but you got to, everybody's different. And I think that's the key. You gotta, Rico, I only have a minute left. Okay. But when I meet someone brand new, the quickest way for me to learn who they are is I always ask them this one question. So I'm gonna ask you this question. I got a minute left. What are your top five favorite movies of all time? <laughs> okay. Uh, Reds, the Warren Beatty did. Um, wow. Casablanca. Yeah. Wow. Uh, 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 um, I, uh, I would say Sunset Boulevard, Butch mm. uh, Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, and then to round it, to round off the list, you, you got you got to put in, um, eh, you got to put in the Godfather because that's <laughs> <the Godfather. laughs> you you better put the Godfather in, or we ain't gonna find you tomorrow morning. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for really enlightening us and joining us this morning, Rico. It really is a pleasure, and those patients are really lucky to have you as their doctor. And we're lucky to be able to watch you on the big screen. Thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. Hey, thank you, Bob. And don't forget, watch Frank and Ava on, uh, on, Am- on Amazon Prime Video. Okay, you made that movie. We'll all be watching it. Thanks so much, Rico, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Okay. All right. God bless. The great Dr. Rico Simonini. How great is it? You only get one life. This guy's got two lives. He's an actor. He makes movies. And he's a great doctor, great cardiologist. Only on the Weekend Warriors show. Coming up next, I'll take your calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. And I'll also tell you what we're going to be doing next week. It's all about the food, about frozen custard. But I'm going to tell you, I've discovered the greatest sleeping medicine, if you will. But it's not a medicine. In fact, you can buy this at Trader Joe's in the chocolate department. I'll explain. Coming up next on the Weekend Warriors show, here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. You're not going to leave me alone, are you? Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. The Grand Poobah, the Big Kahuna. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. There's a woman who had two careers as a singer and as an actress. The great Sophia Loren. Mambo Italiano. Why not, right? You get 24 hours in the day. Who needs sleep? Use every single one of them. That's what Kobe Bryant has taught us. Well, at least I don't have to sleep. I'll just keep going. And he did. Can't stop thinking about Kobe Bryant. 
when we play that promo that he did for the show, it's just so great to hear his voice. We sure could use him now, that's for sure, to help us all deal with this coronavirus. But we'll just talk about him, and that way he's still alive and amongst us. Let's take a call. The number is eight. Well, we don't have time to take lots of calls. Let's go. Let's take one. Let's take David. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hi, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Very good, David. Good to hear your voice. Uh, nice to hear you. Hey, um, I was surfing El Porto, and I dropped mm-hmm. in on a wave, and the board flipped up, and I landed hard uh, with my thigh on the rail of the board, and I got a serious contusion to the point that the lifeguard had to drive me to my car. I immediately did rice, the rest, ice compression and elevation, and I was thinking after about two weeks that it would go away, and it has not. It'll be two weeks Monday, and I can't sleep at night. Um, mm-hmm. And I have not had the x-ray or anything else. And so do I keep doing it? What, tell me what you think. You know, in very rare cases, I see this in football players a lot, where they get a helmet to the thigh. It causes bleeding in the muscle. And in rare cases, it flips a switch. And that contusion, that collection of blood in the muscle can actually start to calcify. And they end up with like a snowball. It's called myositis ossificans, where you're making ossificans. You're making ossifiers to make bone calcium in the muscle are you kidding me so i'm not saying that's what's happening but when you have such a bad thigh bruise that now is not going away at all you're going to need to make sure this doesn't ossify and one of the best ways to do it is an anti-inflammatory not because you're in pain but actually chemically you want to keep this from calcifying certainly you can do heat Uh, You can do deep tissue massage. Uh, You could ride a bike, which pulls on the muscle eccentrically and concentrically loading the muscle. You can wear Spanx or those Lycra bicycle shorts. These are deep tissue massage. These are great things that you can do, but you better be taking an anti-inflammatory Motrin, Advil, Aleve with food. Take it for a good seven days in a row, um, which will help immensely. So, a tight-fitting uh, short with lycra, deep tissue massage, alternating heat and ice, um, and the anti-inflammatory, and you should end up being just fine. Thank God it's not into the joint, so we don't have to worry about needing surgery in the joint. This is not something that will need an operation, thank God. Uh, you are so lucky. Jerry Lopez had the same thing occur, and it basically tore his rectum. So you can have things occur that are horrible. People have lost eyes. I got smacked in the head the other week. You know, it happens. It's part of the, the love of surfing, if you will. And it reminds you, the boss is not you, but the ocean. So always keep that in mind. And what do you do for a living, David? Commercial real estate broker and volleyball coach. Oh, wow. Good for you. Did you hear me talk to um, Keith Erickson a few weeks back? That's a volleyball Absolutely. player. I didn't know- I live in Manhattan Beach. I didn't know he went to El Segundo High School, and he played volleyball at Rosecrans. He was one of the greatest ones at Rosecrans. He was a phenomenal athlete. But my favorite, he, he's very special, Keith Erickson. My favorite story, though, of high school in the South Bay came from the guest that I had call in from Idaho, Bing Copeland. Because yep. Bing Copeland told the story. When I said to him, 
you're a great athlete. Why did you become a surfer? This is going way back. He's 80-something years old, Bing Copeland. And he said, there I was at baseball practice at Miracosta High School. I was going to be practicing all week, trying out for the baseball team. And it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This is an 85-year-old guy telling you a story like it was yesterday when he was like 16 years old. He said, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I looked up and I saw that the flag switched directions in how the wind was blowing. I looked at it and said, oh, my God, it's offshore. The waves are going to be unbelievable. I got to get out of here. I belong in the ocean. And it was just amazing how surfing, it's like Cupid has that arrow and they shoot you in the heart and it's more than a sport. It becomes a way of life. It becomes a religion. So I don't think this injury, correct me if I'm wrong, David, is going to deter you from going out there again as soon as you feel better. Now, I surfed trestles last week, but when I get up, when I get up, it kind of goes away after a while. And you know what? I listened to that Bean Copeland doctor, and he, he couldn't, he stopped surfing at 77, so he's a mentor. And he signed my Bean Copeland shape 1960 board when he was a diving surf not that long ago. He's oh! <laughs> All right, you've been listening for a long time. What's your favorite story? Oh, my God. It's got. There's so many. I mean, when you have, I mean, the surfers are between Jerry, Jerry Lopez, and Good for you. All right, David. Oh, I mean, it goes on and on. There's so many. I mean, you know, that, you made my day. Knowing that you're there listening is why I get up Saturday mornings to do it. Thanks so much for the call, David. And weekend warriors. Until next week, I'll see you on the radio. And thanks for listening. Nel Jack.